Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, everybody. This is Jeremy Evans, your host of Believe in Sports Law via the Believe Podcast Network. Always glad to be with you and always appreciate you listening in. So before we break into the show, we're going to take a quick commercial break uh, for our wonderful sponsor, and then we will get back into the content of the show here for episode 42 in season two, discussing successful sports franchises. The NFL season is in full swing. You might not be at the game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any place online. And there's always the online casino as well. It never closes. So head to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. Bet Online, your online sports book experts. All right, folks, we are back and excited for this week's episode, which is on successful sports franchises. This is something that has come to mind. It's obviously a, it's a bigger topic, I think, in sports in general, but uh, we've had an interesting season uh, of sports when you're talking about the pandemic, and obviously we have the ongoing NFL season during the regular season now. Uh, we've had Major League Soccer, National Hockey League, and the National Basketball Association all finish their postseasons and have um, or playoffs and then have their crown champions, so, so to speak. And then, of course, Major League Baseball uh, will have its World Series game one starting tomorrow uh, between the Los Angeles Dodgers and the Tampa Bay Rays. So a lot of excitement all the way around. And uh, we'll sort of see how things play out for the, um, the rest of these sports seasons between the NFL and Major League Baseball. But there was an article that I was reading in Sportico, which is a great platform, by the way, if you haven't checked that out. And a lot of writers have come over to Sportico from uh, other places. And uh, it's really a great collection of writers and great collection of topics. But this article that um, I was reading was essentially talking about uh, pro teams uh, and this idea of some pro teams going public, this whole idea of initial public offering and being a public company, being publicly traded, um, and sort of how that looks in terms of an investment opportunity, right? Well, which is a great topic. I encourage you to reach out uh, or to reach out and check out that article um, by a friend of mine, actually, goes by John Wall Street, but um, it's through Sportico, so you can easily find that article. But it's all about pro, pro sports teams and um, sort of investment and why it makes sense to look at it from the long-term perspective. So I won't say anything other than that than just to go check out that article. But the topic for this week is somewhat related to that, but different in that we're really looking at investment in sports franchises from the success standpoint, not necessarily from a stock investment standpoint. And, you know, really over the course of a sports franchise, franchise's life, 
you can have ups and downs, right? You can have peaks of success, you know, and then you can have valleys of defeat. And we can see this um, throughout sports and really in life in general, but throughout sports, when you're thinking about, um, you know, your favorite team. Uh, I had a friend the other day who was laughing and saying to me, why am I a Jets fan? And it's something that uh, you can sort of have that comment about a lot of different franchises. Uh, and frankly, you can even have it about successful franchises if they have a tough time uh, getting over the hump or winning the championship, right? But obviously in every sport, you have those franchises that unfortunately just never win. And, but I think the key thing to some of that is whether it still might be uh, a good investment, not from a stock standpoint, but from a standpoint of uh, fans still investing their time and energy into it, and whether it's uh, a moneymaker for ownership, and whether they're actually making uh, money from, um, you know, from sort of this investment in these teams. Because a lot of times when you're looking at who owns baseball teams, who owns, um, you know, any sort of professional franchise, it really comes down to somebody who has had success in another business and then has gone in to purchase a team or become an owner in a team or the other round or aspect is with somebody who inherits the team from a um, member of the family. And it's something that's kept in the family, but eventually those things change. Right. And you have a family member who just no longer wants to run the team and they end up selling, or it might be a downturn in the economy and they're looking for buyers or the team just becomes so valuable that they sell to make a profit. But that all being said, uh, I think there's some key aspects to what makes a sports team successful. I think that the short-term analysis would say that success, you know, comes in batches and there's really comes down to a stroke of luck, uh, much like the economy in some sense where it's like, sometimes you have ups and you have downs and these things are sort of, um, cyclical, right? They run in cycles. The long-term analysis would provide that success is methodical. It's developed and it's sustained through even darkness in the valleys because even a good business can sustain through a uh, period of depression, so to speak, right? And they do that through many different avenues, but, uh, but ultimately, or they just have enough in their coffers saved up, they can survive the downturns, right? Now, conventional and really unconventional wisdom would provide that success in any business is a little bit of both, right? It's a little bit of short-term analysis, a little bit of long-term analysis, and it's a little bit of luck as well as preparation. Uh, really, as the Roman philosopher Seneca said many years ago, uh, quote, luck is what happens when preparation, preparation meets opportunity, end quote. So namely that a person or a business can put in the hard work when opportunity arises, you know, or in other words, the luck, but the person is prepared to rise to the occasion and succeed because they've done the preparation, right? So where does the sort of success come from, right? Uh, in terms of a franchise, I think that sort of in a, I guess it may be even in a cheesy analogy, you can look at, um, you know, there's long-term need to invest in sports franchises because the waves of success are somewhat like the wave during a sport or entertainment event, right? Each section gets their turn through deliberate action. 
uh, you know, sort of standing up and raising your hands is much like taking the necessary steps to ensure successful execution. I think, but before we get into what those successful sort of factors are, I think we need to sort of define what success is in terms of a sports franchise. I think there are two forms with regard to success in a sports franchise. I think the first is on the field success, which really comes down to um, obviously the talent on the field and whether you win or lose, but also it comes down to good public relations off the field. I think a lot of times franchises can get into hot water if they have players who um, are uh, getting into trouble on and off their field, whether it be discipline or uh, criminal action or whatever it might be, bad investments, or even front office personnel or coaches who do things that are, um, you know, whether it be criminally motivated or uh, whether they subject themselves to civil liability, whatever it might be. So that's the first aspect, I think, of success in franchises, sports franchises. I think the second thing is, is dollars. It's running a positive cash balance. And you really need both of those things to be at the upper echelon of success. Some franchises can survive without the on-field success, but at the end of the day, there's some other factors that go into play there to uh, keep a co positive cash balance, which we'll get into. You know, and I think as we've mentioned earlier, there are fans who will attend games and support their team regardless of success. We can see this across many franchises and you know uh, who those franchises are. However, the statistics I think would say, as we mentioned, uh, that the most successful franchises arrive when they win and or do something else to affect fans um, to the ballpark or the stadium or um, the arena, right? So on-field success is important. That's great. Uh, but there's also something else that gets fans to the stadium or the arena, does something to engage them. Let me give you a few examples. The Colorado Rockies, which generally bring in a good amount of fans, um, and we'll get into the reasons why there, but if you look back, their highest sort of grossing seasons in terms of fan attendance and their most successful in terms of dollars came in 1993, which was their first season, uh, as an expansion club in Major League Baseball. And they had a brand new stadium. And ultimately, uh, you had a lot of people showing up to those games. And they ended up making the playoffs in 95. And then in 2007, they had the run to the World Series where they eventually lost to uh, the Boston Red Sox. Those were two seasons in which they attracted a lot of fans and made a lot of money for the franchise. Now, of course, that new stadium is important because obviously geography there is important in that it was located downtown. It was a nice venue. People enjoy going there. I have been there personally. It is a beautiful stadium. It's in a beautiful area. And obviously, this is all assuming non-pandemic people attending games in person, right? Uh, that's obviously been the outlier here this season for 2020. People haven't been able to attend, but you get the point. And obviously things are going to go back to normal in some sense, and you're going to have a vaccine, you're going to have things opening up. So those things will occur and, and teams will go back to, um, you know, letting fans in. And, and frankly, I think that um, even in a worst case scenario uh, with advancing technology and testing, your teams will find a way to allow people and fans back safely into games. And I think fans, there's be a percentage of fans who don't want to do it, but I think eventually you're going to have fans that are going to want to go to games and people who want to meet in person. It's human nature. 
So uh, again, I think the Colorado Rockies is sort of an example of new stadium, level of success adds to it, right? I think anytime you, you have a new stadium, you're always going to have an influx of fans for the first year or two. But in terms of sustained success, you really do need a good venue and also success on the field. So um, I think, again, success is the main driver. I think it's the maintainer aspect to it. But again, you need a good place to watch. An example of this is the Oakland Athletics, who have had many successful teams despite not having a high payroll. Uh, they've really focused on development. But because the stadium they play in admittedly is not a great baseball, baseball venue, you don't have a ton of fans attending games there. Uh, that's the Coliseum there for the Oakland Athletics. So again, two sort of uh, good examples. Now, obviously, large fan bases and easy ingress and egress to a stadium is also important. Um, some outliers. Um, well, before we get into the outliers, we look at, like let's say, the Boston Red Sox and New York Yankees, right? You have easy ingress and egress at the stadium. They've obviously had a level of success, so fans will show up, but they have easy subways to get there. The Pittsburgh Steelers, the Pittsburgh Pirates, um, they do bring in a good amount of fans. Obviously, the Steelers have been more um, successful on the field than, let's say, the Pirates of late and really historically as well. But um, that being said, they also have easy ingress and, uh, and egress to the stadiums. Um, they've got you know public transportation and they've got easy parking, fairly easy to get there. The outliers, though, are teams like, let's say, the Dodgers or the Dallas Cowboys who admittedly have large traffic distance and parking issues, but because of winning and let's say a revitalized ballpark in terms of the Dodgers or with a new AT&T stadium with the Cowboys and committed fans, they tend to continue to lead the league in attendance and revenues and really franchise value. Uh, and the same could be said of the Patriots uh, in New England uh, with Gillette Stadium there in Foxborough or other places. I'm sure you can make your own example going through this sort of formula when looking at your favorite team. Uh, over in the MLS, we can look at LAFC versus um, the LA Galaxy. And this is a situation where the LAFC has a new stadium. They have, um, it's near uh, major downtown restaurants, uh, talking about LAFC's Bank of America, um, sorry, not Bank of America, uh, Bank of California Stadium that uh, is near downtown restaurants, a major university in USC and um, other entertainment. Plus you have the train that stops by near there. And it also happens to be a wonderful venue to watch. Now, what does that mean in terms of dollars and cents? Well, LAFC has been a very popular team. Uh, they have had over 100% capacity for their first couple of seasons, uh, which of course could very well just be the fact that they're a new stadium. Um, but there's also an increase in attendance year over year compared to the LA Galaxy. Now, little caveat to this, the Galaxy does have a higher capacity stadium, so they've drawn more fans, but in terms of a percentage basis, uh, LAFC has taken uh, the lead here in terms of fans showing up and um, whether that be a percentage in uh, capacity or a percentage increase over year, uh, LAFC has led that, that path there. We'll see how that develops over the next few years as LAFC, they've been a successful team this far. Uh, let's see how that sort of plays out when uh, the stadium gets a little bit older. We'll see how that plays out when uh, the team maybe doesn't do as well. 
but I think anybody can agree that um, as much as you might love the LA Galaxy, the stadium is not in the most convenient place and it's not easy to get to and you have to deal with a lot of traffic. Um, it is a nice venue, uh, obviously not as nice as LAFC's, but you know that's sort of a time and place thing. But again, another example. Now, of course, this all being said, uh, good branding, merchandise, social media, um, community outreach can all increase um, engagement, loyalty, and consumer spending, right? A well-liked player or superstar can also increase attendance uh, or engagement. Um, and really the aforementioned that I've just talked about highlights uh, the need for great drafting, player development, front office and coaching personnel, and really just administrative personnel, because it's, it's really people uh, that make a franchise win, right? Uh, we had Fred Clare on the podcast a couple weeks ago, and that was his sort of highlight from that interview was that it's people, it's uh, honor, it's loyalty. That's what wins uh, championships and puts people in good places. And su sustained success on and off the field always comes down to talent. And uh, more importantly, execution, even if um, completed by less superior players or personnel. I mean, at the end of the day, um, and I guess maybe I should rephrase that to say less superior players in terms of like natural talent or whatever it might be, uh, or even personnel with natural talent. You know, maybe somebody's really good at, um, you know, playing the game of football or somebody's really good at analytics, but if they don't have good character, if they don't have good uh, team skills, you know, obviously that's going to hurt the team, right? And it's going to hurt the franchise. But I think at the end of the day, talent does win. You need good talent uh, to win. Uh, but execution, of course, is the biggest proponent of this. And Bill Belichick is, as a coach, has, has um, whether you like him or not, has preached that for years and has talked about execution as, as the biggest part, the whole idea of do your job, right? And uh, I think lastly, success leads to higher dollar amounts for broadcast rights when it comes to, to television and streaming um, for a copyrighted broadcast. And uh, of course, the more that you win, the more that you have high profile players or successful players, a nice stadium, more that you have all of these things, the more likely it is that sponsors are gonna wanna come in and be a part of that success, right? Because they'll be able to advertise and sell their product from your success. So all these things kind of play together. Now, the above, as we sort of talked about, the aforementioned of what we've talked about is why fans invest in teams for the long run uh, with the eventual hope of success. And it's the same reason why investors invest in professional sports franchises and why owners invest so much money up front to purchase a team because the eventual goal and likelihood is that there will be a profit made. Now with fans, the exception is that the pot of gold is emotional. You have an emotional connection to the game. You know, your father or your mother introduced you to the game, your brother introduced you to it or to the team, to the player, you became attached to it. You love it. You watch it, you invest in it, right? With your time and your money. Now the difference for franchise owners is the fact that the reward or loss is financial and emotional. And it makes sense that if they're making the sort of, uh, the financial investment, they also stand to, to gain in the financial benefit, right? Just be as easily if you invest in stock into a sports team that allowed for that, you should be able to gain in the uh, financial investment as well, as well as the loss, right? That's the risk. But investors, I think, um, take on both an emotional 
and financial aspect to this. And I think investors of both emotional and financial resources should just remember that time is a friend uh, when it comes to return on their investment. And I think that's what really goes back to investment in terms of the team, whether you're talking about from an emotional standpoint or from a financial standpoint. And really going back to the Sportico article I mentioned earlier with regard to investment when you're talking about a public company, uh, specifically in sports. So I think uh, obviously though, in somewhat of a sad but funny way, some wait times are longer than others for, um, for some franchises when it comes to the emotional aspect. I think that the cycles of investment for a team recovering their investment and uh, having a profit is shorter when compared to, uh, let's say, the emotional aspect, right? Because you can run a franchise, this has been proven, run a professional sports franchise and not necessarily be successful on the field, but you can gain a profit. Uh, and I think that's the special nature of sports in general is that the loyalty and investment uh, continues to be there. Uh, and especially with, a, with, let's say, a team, with teams in, let's say, the NFL, where the contracts, or even the NBA, where the contracts are generally nationally focused and each team gets a per, you know, percentage of, uh, let's say, broadcast rights, you're always going to have that guaranteed income. Uh, baseball, in some sense, works this way when you're talking about a national broadcast or national sponsors, but for the most part, uh, baseball is more local. So we've hoped that you have enjoyed this week's show. Again, this is episode 42. I'm your host, Jeremy Evans, via the Believe Podcast Network. This is the Believe in Sports Law Show. Always appreciate you listening in. And this episode has been about successful sports franchises. Look forward to hopefully being back and uh, with uh, being back with you next week. Thank you again for listening. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.